I always say, you know, a lot of times in your career as a fitness pro, and I know you've probably gone through this, I've gone through this, you get to this crossroads, right? You can try to close your eyes because this sounds hard and challenging and learning something new. And you can hope that you just, what you keep doing works and I put that in quotation marks. <laughs> or you take on the challenge and you go, hey, I want to learn more about this. I want to see how it applies to what I can do. I want to be offering my clients a better option. Uh, and, and that's going to be more, but I think that's the exciting part. I think that's how you become a professional rather than a hobbyist who just likes to work out and does things. And Cheesy intro line of three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Lion Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Cripe. All right. So I am still kind of getting my senses back to the two-hour delay. I'm such a wimp when it comes to time zones. But I was um, in Long Beach, California over the weekend for a fantastic Perform Better three-day uh, training summit. I mean, I do believe of all the perform betters, this one really was up there for me. I met a lot of new people. I actually got to meet in person people that I've been talking to via social media for the longest time. I got to help out and coach, which I love to do all the time. So I got to help out and coach for the DVRT uh, workshops or the hands-on, if you will, and even coach doses MRT, which my heart still goes out for all those participants. That was a brutal session. Uh, but. Through all this stuff, I mean, there's a lot of fad things that happen, or I should say buzzwords that go into this, like different presenters are talking about some of the same stuff, but I don't know if they're necessarily in tune with exactly the science of how it goes. So I thought I would bring in one of our more knowledgeable uh, guests about such a topic. And, you know, we we're talking back and forth throughout the, the weekend with the summit. So with uh, great pleasure, I bring to you Josh Hankin. Well, thank you. I mean, a lot of pressure when you say action-packed and exciting. I mean, I think it's because you're a superstar. That's why. So, <laughs> no, it's yeah, well, you. I think I think you just brought me on to be the Debbie Downer of uh, the episode. I'm the perpetual sidekick. So I, you know, like anybody, all my friends, I'm always the guy behind the scenes. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the Robin to you're your Batman. Robin, <laughs> but um, no, so it was a great weekend. I really appreciate. It. Again, like it is funny. I know Jessica, your your wonderful wife always makes fun of like, you've seen this topic before. Why are you coming back for more? And it's one of those things, like when you read something, right? You reread it, you pick up on new things. And I can't tell you how many times I've listened to you and Jessica speak. And sometimes, well, all the time, something resonates a little bit more. And I can pick up on a little bit more of a detail. Plus, it's just great. I mean, you guys, you know, you listen to all these people that are top notch. And I don't mean to just keep like, <laughs> blowing sunshine at you Please but there is something yeah, no. <laughs> right? Right. stop with the compliments <laughs> you two are on your game when it comes to presentations because you know we're talking about some of the industry's best and there are some people that speak very eloquently and then there's some people that really stammer and stumble and i understand that but you guys are always on point I, it's always fun to watch because your punchlines i mean you know when to add them there's not the verbal pauses and i i will admit i'm probably a verbal pause person but as I'm listening to somebody, I, I kind of get distracted by the ums. Uh, hmm. So I really appreciate your guys' uh, not only your information and wisdom, but the eloquence and what you bring it. And the thing, too, is how you bring it at a level where it's tangible and accessible for all for all people. You know, I know you can speak high and mighty about things. It just brings me uh, to when you had Brian Schilling <laughs> talking about stuff like I, I looked over at John and Shannon and they're just what the heck just, what did he say? And then you had to, you know, interpret. 
But you could take these high ideas and you could bring it down to the level. And I think that that, I think that's uh, really goes with the favor of your education background. I appreciate that. I'll tell Jessica that you like mine way more than hers, uh, number one. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it does, I think if you want to be a good educator and presenter, you you definitely work. I mean, work as like you practice and you make sure that you can, you think about the what you really want people to take away with it. And I think both Jessica and I really want people to take away, like you said, you know, tangible things, but also a deeper understanding. And I keep, I love, you know, having a background in education, that old Albert Einstein line, like, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it, right? It's true. That's true. Uh, so I, I always sort of get dismayed, like, yeah, we can all talk over people's heads if we want to, but who wins that? Like, that's an ego boost. That doesn't help anyone. And so I, I appreciate that you, you know, people find it useful. And to me, that's the biggest part. Like, if people don't find it useful, I don't care how many big words I use. It doesn't really help anyone. Not at all. And I always get like, because as you've noticed in the last couple of years, there's a lot of the usual suspects that go to these things, but they're not as much as they were in the past. I just remember going to like Chicago was always the hotspot for me. And I would see all the same people. And it was always great because it's time to kind of re-network and talk. And there didn't seem to be as many new people. But in these last couple of years with the Perform Betters, there's more new people. And I think this is a great thing. I think it's great for Perform Better, for the summit and for the industry in itself. But I will be honest when I'm sitting there and Chris or whoever is uh, introducing you will always ask in the audience who who's heard Josh, who's heard Jessica, or better yet, who hasn't. And when they ask who hasn't, the people that raise their hands, I'm thinking to myself, you are in for a treat. <laughs> and you'll never be coming back. No, um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it is really, I mean, it's always very positive in the sense that it shows that people are still interested in learning, which is, I think, a huge thing as we'll get into the, I'm sure what, what you want to discuss shortly, but also, you know, it does disappoint me a little bit that we don't see some of the usual faces. I mean, I understand for one reason or another, they can't make an event that's fine and understandable, but I think there's a sense of like, I got it. And yeah, I think yeah. we all have to be, we all have to put a pause on ourselves when we, if you think you got, chances are you don't got, <laughs> I think it's hundred percent open to like, I don't know everything. And maybe there's a new spin or a new way of communicating. Like it doesn't always have to be very grand like you said maybe it's just like the way you heard it the third or fourth time just struck with you and now you got it yeah. uh that, that's important so i i hope that you know next year that we'll see a lot of those same familiar faces come back to and just find a better time for it well right and i don't want to just totally talk about this but this just brings up other kind of feelings and emotions is i think a lot of us trainers you know we're kind of on an island you know we don't have we're not so close to our peers right so you know, in town, there's a couple, there's one gym I'm thinking about in particular, Unity Fitness, Jordan. I don't talk to him as much because we're busy. We have a lot of the same thought process. It'd probably be good for us to get together. I think that that networking, that talking to your peers really helps to kind of enkindle the fire a little bit more, you know, get that flame going a little bit more in your heart for fitness. So when I go to these things, I, yeah, if I learn something that's great um, and, you know, I expect to learn something, I guess, but I'm also watching, like, I, I think about, I watch the coaches coach, right? Whoever's presenting, how are they conducting their sessions? How are they presenting? Like, what is their, what's their verbal, what's their nonverbal way of getting things across? But most importantly, I mean, rubbing elbows with your peers and talking about things and just networking that way, it really gets you excited. You know, you come back home and you're just, you're back into the fitness, like, oh, this is so good. So I really do believe for anybody out there, these kind of events education yes but just getting in with your peers and talking to people and having the ability to talk to all the speakers and presenters you know everybody 
nobody ever, you know, you don't approach some presenter and ask them a question like, you know, I'm, I don't have enough time for you. I mean, that's why they're there is to help people out. So it's such a wonderful event. Yeah. It's, it's always very fun, but I think you got, I mean, to your, to your point, I mean, watching you coach is always a great pleasure. Cause I mean, the way you connect with people and the way you communicate ideas to people, you can see the excitement that, that people get for it. And I think that's something, like I said, a very important takeaway. It's not just principles, concepts, and exercises, but communication and relate and the way you relate to people is super important in, in what we do. And so it's like, you have all the knowledge in the world, but if you stink at communicating that to people or relating to people, you're not gonna get very far in helping them. Not at all. All right, let's go to the main event. <laughs> um, we should ask Chris to like take that and use it as a perform better um, kind of promotion. And, you know, we can take a cut of the pie. But <laughs> before we do that, so fascia, like we're just gonna get right to it, fascia. And a lot of our listeners out there might have like a, an inkling of what it is. They might've heard it before. It's kind of one of those, I don't want to say buzzwords, but people are talking about training the fascia, what you can do for the fascia. And fascia is very important as I've, I've learned. And I do still remember, uh, obviously, uh, I should say, obviously, the first time I was introduced to fascia was not in the college setting, you know, taking an anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, nobody ever talked about fascia. And I don't know if they did not know about it or if it just wasn't really relatable to fitness. I don't know. These are some of the things that we're going to get answered today. But it was actually at a Perform Better <laughs> Summit. And Thomas Myers, Anatomy Trains, was there. And I was so excited to like hear him present. And I remember when he talking about fascia. And he said that the, the skeletal system that we use nowadays, the model, is outdated. Like, well, it's just not, it's irrelevant. Because if you can imagine going into your doctor's office, they got that skeleton and they move a limb and nothing else gets impacted. You know, you just, you take the, uh, you take the forearm, you move it up. It just moves by itself. So he actually had, it was a neat thing. Almost like it, it was just this almost uh, spherical, maybe more cylindrical object, but it was all these kind of like bungees with these little dowels attached. So when you pulled on one, one dowel, everything in that uh, apparatus got affected. It pulled towards there. He said, this is a better model of the skeletal system because nothing moves in a vacuum. So even though it had nothing to look like a skeletal system, it was just more of a, a round spherical shape. You just pull on that one dowel and the bungees all go with it. And he said that this is how fascia works. So I'd love to hear from you, like, what is fascia? Because I think you could probably speak better of it than I can. And where did it come from? Like, I mean, how did we start learning about it? Um yeah, I, I sort of laugh and pause for a second because, you know, I'm not a fascial expert and I honestly don't want to be because I think, <laughs> you know, when you start going down some of these rabbit holes, I mean, you can go spend so much time and spend so much energy and and, and to people that are love it, that's great, but you can get a little myopic with it and where if you become like a fascial person and putting air quotes for people who are listening, um, then every problem becomes fascial related. Right. And it blinds you to other things that could be impacting. So I say that with just awareness and, and acknowledgement that I know I'm not going to be on Thomas Myers level of speaking about fascia, but I always say I know enough to be dangerous type of thing uh, and, and relate it more to what's relevant to, I think, what, what people need to know about it. Right. And fascia basically is just connective tissue. And there's different types of fascia. There's fascia that's right underneath your skin. There's fascia that surrounds your muscles. There's fascia that surrounds organs. Uh, and so, like you said, it's the idea that basically in, ver in a very simple terms, everything's connected. And I think that's the moral of the story. If I didn't narrow it down to like a fortune cookie thing, it's like, 
you know, everything is connected. I think your analogy was perfect. The one, one of the best ones I ever heard that's very relatable to people is the sweater analogy. You have a sweater, there's a little thread coming off, you pull the thread and like the whole sweater falls apart, right? Yep. And I mean, I can speak to what you're saying about the you know traditional way we look at anatomy. I mean, Jessica and I have both said this because we both were in uh, university programs where we did dissection on cadavers. And, you know, if you typically, a lot of times, I don't know if it's that way anymore, this is a long time ago now, um, that you do dissection, they would actually remove a lot of the fascia so that you didn't even see it. And you, that's partly probably why people weren't as familiar or as aware of the impact of it. But research on the fascia dates back to the 70s, a, a very famous person named Andre Fleming, who a lot of people like Thomas Myers and other people will cite for a lot of their literature, did, has done a lot of research on why fascia is important. It's, important for, for so many reasons, but I think as far as things that are relevant for people is for one, um, you know, it explains how one muscle in, impacts another muscle, right? Because when we talk about chains and sling systems and, you know, I put up the diagrams of the fascia lines and people are like, what muscle is that? I've never seen that muscle. <laughs> it's not that muscle. It's just how they're designed to function together to perform everyday activities that are often far more complex than what we do in the gym. And we're not even thinking about it, right? The coordination and the intricacies that go into how the body has to adjust to, to perform a daily activity is far more complicated than what we do in the gym. But how do we do that? Well, a big part of that is our fascial system. Fascia is also where we store, you know, energy. So we get, uh, you know, elasticity. So like, you know, if we want to be powerful, we want to be fast. We want to be able to, you know, get out of the way of something like, you know, fascia plays a big part of that. Uh, mobility is a big part of fascia, right? So, you know, there's myofascial stretching, which is muscle and fascia, because you know, we'll get to it. You can't do one without the other. That's impossible. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's been shown to be very, uh, strong evidence in you know helping mobility functional movement skills and things of that nature a more effective way of stretching is myofascially based uh where you sort of count that's what basically foam rolling or trigger point stuff uh when you use the cross balls you're probably working more fascia than you are actual muscle uh to be honest because it's you have to get so deep and you have to be very specific with muscle and even a lot of the restrictions that we see in movement are probably more fascially driven than they are muscular uh, and that's why, you know, certain things like rolfing and certain manual therapy techniques are very effective in releasing, you know, movement or restrictions of movement. Uh, you can get trigger points in fascia. So that's where, you know, you can have pain, referral of pain. Uh, people have had like pain in one area, but you push from another area and it like hurts. You're like, how does that work? Well, because of your fascial system. And fascia is even, you know, there's an amazing amount of evidence that source trauma. So when we have physical or emotional trauma, it gets stored in our fascia. I think it's like we have 250 million uh, neurons in our fascia uh, and triple that are sensory neurons. Uh, so, you know, if you get into books like The Body Keeps a Score, it's a very famous trauma book. They talk about, you know, the how the body actually holds on to trauma. That's why, you know, uh, for a classic example of this is ever notice if you slouch, people tend to be in a worse mood. And they stand up, sit up more, they tend to not be as bad of a mood. There's there's little body, body postures that we assume and things that we hold on to or, you know, can experience that can invoke those things. But I think for most people in fitness, it's understanding the role of, you know, why, how that impacts our exercise selection, how it impacts how we may experience and feel pain, how we may re be restricted in our mobility. Um, and I remember 20 plus years ago, working with a strength conditioning coach, he didn't never say it was fascia, but he would do these crazy things like 
he would improve someone's hamstring length by working on their jaw, soft tissue in their jaw. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how is that even possible? <laughs> it makes no sense. But it's just understanding the fascial systems. And another common one is like you can improve someone's hamstring length by working on the bottom of their feet because there's a lot of fascia. People think you know, plantar fascia, and if they you release the fascia a little bit more, uh, you can improve someone's hamstring length. And, and, and it goes on and on, but it's just understanding that it's just this interconnected system. And so it really speaks to the fact of why isolation is not a desirable technique for, I would say, 99.9% of the goals or, you know, uh, things that people want to accomplish in the gym or just in daily life. Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about kind of models and examples, I just remember it always, every time like you do it, or I saw Jessica do it this weekend, I do it. I tell people, this is how I sell memberships at Fitness Lying Down, is you have that person lie on their stomach. And, you know, as you're talking about isolation versus integration, you take their one leg and, you know, they're laying on their stomach, they lift up their leg and you tell them not to let you put, not, not to let not to let them let you push their leg down. And it's easy. You just push them down. You try to take the biggest, strongest person in the room and you can just easily push that leg down. But then all of a sudden you grab onto their other hand because we're talking about it. Maybe, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but how that, that glute interacts and has a relationship with the opposite lat. So all of a sudden, if they got their left leg raised, you go ahead and grab on their right hand and you try to push them down now. Well, now you can't move because you've connected that those body parts and you've become stronger. And I still think it's just amazing how, how many people double take with that. And that's one of those, like, as you talk about lengthening someone's hamstring by working on their jaw, you know, I can't tell you how many, how did that happen? Especially the person that experienced it. It's like, how did that happen? Or sometimes I'll take like a small female. Okay. Easy to push her leg down, easy to push her leg down. But all of a sudden now you connect that lat over to that glute and I'm pushing hard and she's resisting with ease. So it's, it's a really neat thing to watch how you can have these, you know, not party tricks, but how you have these examples like, yeah, that just worked. You know, I mean, I think they're important just to give people an idea of how this actually works in life. Cause I can you know, pull up the pictures and we can talk about the research, but I think people want to see like, well, how does that really relate to me in everyday life? And uh, you're right. There's just so many elements and it, and it speaks to why we do what we do then like well that makes sense then why we're selecting these exercises that's why we're focusing on movement patterns and not individual muscles uh and so therefore it's like i think it just brings it to life for people to be like aha that's an aha moment but i think they're also stuck in a confusion because they're thinking about that person they love and respect and they feel like they're part of their tribe and you know on social media and like they never talk about this how come that you know they don't talk about this they're they're really smart no that can't be that can't be the answer it must be just still work on this and i think people get stuck and like want to fight fight it and there's also a lot of misunderstanding around fascia i sort of often joke this is why we can't have anything nice in fitness uh because I don't know if people are deliberately misleading people or sometimes they just misunderstand it and then miscommunicate it back to people. But there's also a lot of misunderstandings around fascia as well. So I think that's where we have to be careful with how we start communicating and start using it in our programs. And ultimately that's the important part, right? Well, absolutely. And so before we start talking about like how to adequately put this into programming, because anybody that's listening to this right now should have a kind of an elevation of, okay, as you're talking about program prescription. Now I know a little bit more of connections. I can make better. I I can make better um, programming um, ideas here for my client or for myself. But you talked about people that have kind of a they're not very um, well equipped with the fascia, or you know they whether it's through ignorance or whatever. 
just don't understand it as well. A lot of misconceptions. Let's kind of talk about some of those popular misconceptions about fashion. I think, you know, uh, you've recently had this experience. I think, you know, probably the biggest one is that you can train just fascia or mm -hmm. that you got to do specific exercises to train fascia. If you're moving, you're training fascia. <laughs> I mean, you can't move or do anything and not have fascia involved. That's that's sort of a given. So it's never about isolating fascia. I think that's a misunderstanding of the concept or that you can train it specifically over muscles and joints and tendons. It, it's more so just understanding how it, why, like you said earlier, one area of your body can be influencing another. And then like how you, I think Jessica says it well, how you can highlight maybe different chains, but they're all active in every single time. I, I know there's a large group of uh, a specific group of people that, you know, believe that you're not training fascia unless you're doing some type of active locomotion. Well, that's a complete misunderstanding of fascia. If I go down and pick something up, I'm using fascia. If I, you know, stand up from my chair, I'm using fascia. Like you can't move and not use fascia. So I think that's probably the biggest one that I see. And then people are trying to isolate specific chains. They're like, this is a lateral chain fascia movement. It's like, well, they're still all active. You might be highlighting, you might be emphasizing the role of one, but they're all interactive in literally everything that you do. So I think people just have to understand then what, what's important to take away is, well, then when I do a movement pattern and then I want to progress it, or if I'm struggling in it, why would that be happening? Why would I want to progress it one way or another? Why am I struggling? Let's say my shoulder feels unstable or doesn't feel strong when I'm doing something. Is it a certain position I'm in? Is it my hip causing me problems or other things? And I think that's the more important takeaway that people should have over like, oh, this is a fascial exercise because that literally is everything that you do. Yeah. I mean, it's almost safe to say that if I were to sit and do a leg extension, you know, very isolated, but there's still fascia being totally. trained in there. Yeah, fascia doesn't work just, just on integrated movement. It works. If you move something of your body, you are going to use fascia. But so I think I, the, the problem would be, though, the seated leg extension is you're not training the body as it should be moving. You know, you just don't sit there and extend your knee against force. Usually there's something else going on with another part of your body with connection that actually helps to integrate a little bit more, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the role there would be like, okay, well, why are you doing leg extension? Well, let's say someone said, because I have knee pain, I heard that if you do, if you strengthen up your quads, that'll help your knee pain. Well, rarely is a singular muscle the cause of any specific problem. And typically, if there is a problem with the muscles, it's more of a motor control, which is a timing issue of when does that muscle become active with other muscles, which is going back to chains. But I would say like, well, your foot is going to be far more impactful to your knee than your quad is by itself. Like your foot, as it goes up the chain, there's a whole series of muscles, there's fascia that will incorporate, is going to dictate a lot more that happens to your knee than your, than your quad or, you know, your core and your hip are going to be far more important to your knee than the quad is. And so just, that's how you change. That's why I'm not spending time on doing the leg extension. Does it mean that you could get no benefit from doing leg extension? Of course not. It just means, you know, and you can speak to this, Corey. I, you know, every person I've ever worked with, including myself, I'm limited on time and energy. Yep. So I got to maximize both. So I can't do something that could work. I have to do the best thing that I know how to work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I people come to our gym because they get a, an effective and efficient session. We don't have to sit here for hours training all the individual muscles that it just goes into those movement patterns. And, you know, it's just funny as we're talking about like, you know, we said you can't separate the muscles from the fascia. You can't separate anything from the fascia. But when we say like 
a fascial training, like, you know, more movement training, but if we're training the fascia, I feel like as we're talking about this, you know, we train muscles, you know, we're kind of in the, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find our best way to explain this or ask the question, but you know, we train muscles. Why? Because we want to increase the size of our muscles because in the past we were told bigger muscles mean stronger, faster, whatnot. I mean, would you say that when we're training our movement patterns, which were very akin to like here at fitness line down because of DVRT and it's just the easiest way to train the body in an efficient amount of time is to go through movement patterns but as we're training the movements and we're training the fascia, if you will, air quotes with that, it's more about that connectivity and the timing sequence and the efficiency, right? I mean, this is why we want to train all that in one group, right? We're not, we're not, incre- we're not increasing the size of the fascia to be stronger. We're actually creating it to be a better connective uh, part of your body, correct? Right. I mean, there might be some evidence that you're maybe you're strengthening the elasticity of it. You're strengthening the connective tissue. And that's all fine and well, that's good. But like, yeah, you're not going to hike, build up a giant fascial bundle like a bicep, right? Like you're not going to have anything like that. It's going to be far more subtle uh, and can help with resiliency and things like that and develop ability to develop power. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, people need to understand that, you know, for example, if I'm going to press something overhead, let's say I have a dumbbell or a cowbell, I'm going to press overhead. Well, the reason I want to push my feet down the ground is because of that fascial connection that will make my shoulder feel stable and stronger. You know, that's why I'm gripping tightly because there's a fascial connection that'll make me stronger and more stable. And so it goes into why we cue certain things. Why we do we put you in certain positions? Why do we progress and exercise a certain way? Uh, versus going, hey, I'm going to work my quads today. I'm going to work my lats today. I'm going to work my pecs today and things of that nature. And, and I think people, because no one goes, hey, you, your fascia looks really good, Corey. Like the, it's in their <laughs> consciousness. But I, I think, you know, if you understand that, if you understand those concepts and that you do better exercise, then you will get those fitness goals of being stronger, being leaner, gaining more functional muscle, meaning that muscle that looks, that performs as good as it looks, right? Yeah. I think that's ultimately what everyone would like to have. You'll have better flexibility and mobility. And that's what people want. You'll have like less aches and pains, which is what people want. So it's not like I would never sell someone on, hey, we're going to do fascial training. And this is a, you know, your fascia is going to be buff after this. It's more like it's, that's how we're going to reach your goals is understanding how these connections will help us get to your goals more effectively and efficiently. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, and then I was thinking too, because as you're talking about mobility, things like this, I remember again sitting in that lecture with Thomas Myers. And for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, Thomas Myers is is he the founder of Anatomy Trains? I mean, that's kind of his baby. Yeah. Yeah. He's, as Josh said, like he would be a fascial expert, I believe, right? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. the one you I go to. One. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I, I want to make sure like people know that who he is, that we're not just throwing the name out. But it, it was kind of fascinating how he talked about immobility actually creates kind of a fascial response as well. Because he said in his words that the fascia is kind of like snot. And he talked about that if you don't move a joint, so let's say you you injure your shoulder, they put you in a sling and you're in the sling for how many weeks or months, that actually the fascia kind of like rubs up or kind of it doubles up on each other and it makes these strong connections that kind of immobilizes that body part. And what Thomas Myers was saying is that that's why when you wake up in the morning, one of the first things you do is you kind of get that initial stretch. Because as you were sleeping for, you know, eight, seven, six hours, that the fascial, the fascia kind of went on each other and started making these connections, binding together. So it's not too bad, but that's why in the morning, like that's why you stretch right away is to break up that. So you have some of that mobility 
and just talking about the fact of the injured person or the person that favors one side more than the other and they create that immobility that that actually kind of magnifies the tightness in the fascia. I don't know if that's the right way to term- yeah. to use the terminology, but we'll that's that. why sounds good to me. It's so hard, like after having a body part immobile, like it's really difficult to start moving that body part, right? Yeah, and I think this weekend I showed like a, a little snippet of like muscle does something similar. Um, it, it, and that's why like if you're sedentary and you go to do something, you feel stiff and you feel tight, the actual structures do change. Mm-hmm. So muscle and fascia structures do change. And it, like you said, it almost becomes like this not, 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 but it becomes a very, it loses a lot of its elasticity and ability to move very effectively. It's a better way to say it. And so I, that's why people feel so stiff and they do, they like do this whole like routine when they stand up after they've been sitting for a while. Um, but it reminds me, you know, when you were saying that you had asked before, like, where does it stem from? And, and yes, Thomas Myers has done very important work with it. But I mean, even he in his book, Anatomy Trains will say that this work is much, much older. And that the idea of fascia is like, you can trace back to like yoga practices. You can trace back to, I mean, the most famous is probably Chinese traditional Chinese medicine where they talk about meridians. Mm-hmm. A lot of the fascial lines are based off Chinese meridians. Uh, and, um, and Thomas Myers talks about that in his book. So that we have this awareness. And that's like you said, that's why like a lot of times these cultures, a lot of times the first thing you did is exercise, you do these dynamic stretches, you do these movements, you know, was to open up their body. You know, they had maybe a different thought process than necessarily say fascia, but they understood that, you know, to do the work of the day or, you know, feel energized and to feel healthy, you need to move the body in lots of different ways. I mean, there's even really cool, like historical uh, artifacts of like, whole routines that they would find in caves or tablets of like people doing exercise and like movements. <laughs> the uh, first programs. Yeah, literally, because they they realized that, you know, if I moved more effectively, I could do things during my day and more, I'd have better energy. I could, you know, do these things that, you know, working all day, you know, in the fields or wherever it might be more effectively and and, and not get hurt. Because you can imagine, you know, if you're a farmer and you get hurt, you're kind of in trouble, right? Especially yeah. in ancient times. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just understanding better that it, it's it, it's it plays a very important role, but we just have to keep it in perspective upon <laughs> the priority. Like I recently, I, Jessica showed me a a respected strength coach. You know, he used example uh, LeBron James versus Kevin Durant. Okay, and someone doesn't is not familiar with basketball. LeBron James is far more, I would say you could see his muscles far more visibly. He's a very well-built guy, right? And Kevin Durant tends to be more thin and lanky, right? Uh, both are our same basketball players, different players. Anyways, but the, the strength coach tried to say that LeBron James was more muscle forward. I'm not sure if I've got the terms they used exactly right. And, and Kevin Durant was more fascial forward. And I'm like, I don't know how you would judge that. <laughs> how you, just because one has more muscle doesn't mean they don't use their fascia very effective. I mean, think about how fast and quick and how fast he could rebound, you know, off the ground and how fast he would run. Like, how do you say that's not very fashionable forward? So I just think, you know, people got to be very careful because there's people throwing around this term that I don't know if they understand it very well. It doesn't make a lot of sense because it'd be very hard to test if someone is very fashionable or muscular forward because it, again, work cohesively. So I, I think people are making a lot of stipulations. I don't know if to get their name out there, to say something controversial or, you know, just because they think they're right, but they're saying something that's very odd. <laughs> it just reminds me of the meme that you always seem to share with uh, Will Ferrell. I have no idea what it means, but it sounds provocative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm just going to use fascia because, you know, it's it's because. You know, it's, it's right. what people are saying. Um, and that you know, kind of brings me to at least one, if not two points. 
is this must be one of the reasons is we're talking about more people that are sedentary sitting. You know, you think about an object in motion just kind of stays in motion. So if you're really used to moving a lot and, you know, and moving in all planes of motion, just moving in all these very functional patterns, if you will. Um, I don't know if that's a provocative term, but as opposed to when you sit for long periods of time, you know, that thing that isn't in motion, it's really hard to get into motion. So it can be really tough because as you mentioned, your body structure actually changes by being sedentary and it makes it hard to break that. Now I have a kind of a small example, to be honest with you. Today was the first day I actually trained on the training floor since Tuesday last week. And with all the flights, you know, driving, sitting through lectures. And I mean, there's the hands-on and all this, but I think overall, I was not as active as I would have been if I was at home in my normal routine. And there was everything in my body because like, I just felt tight. You know, I just felt like, oh, I need to move, but I didn't want to move. That's the funny thing. And so for my training session today, I just had to give myself like seven things that I really want to do that I just know it's not going to be hardcore but it's going to get me on that path of moving again, you know, just back into it. So even, even a fitness professional like myself has those days where I'm trying to talk myself out of going onto the training floor. And so I just think like all that sedentariness and not moving as much as I should staying kind of regimented, which is life, but it was nice to get into more of that movement base, having that instead of like going to the gym, be like, all right, barbell back squat. So that's going to suck because my body doesn't feel good with it to be able to have that ability to have the ability to make those moves in the training floor that maybe I'm going to do press out squats because it, I know it's just going to help everything out. It's going to make me feel good. I don't have to use a lot of weight and it's going to be effective. I'm going to do this exercise because it's going to help with a little bit more of that stretch response, but I'm still getting movement strength. So it is kind of neat when you think about how much the fashion can play, even in a short term, like it doesn't have to be weeks or months of being casted up, but just over a long weekend, right? Yeah, and, and there's other variables too. There's hydration levels that go into play. There's nutrition, there's fatigue. All those things also come into play. And like you said, though, I think if you understand what we just said, what you just said about like the structures actually change, then when that client comes in the first time, I think the trainer needs to be really aware that the last thing that person needs is probably a lot of heavy lifting. They need to learn how to move. Yeah. And, and, and like, and, and it's going to be a lot of effort for them to move and it might be very tiring for them to move. So it started like, how much work are you giving them? Like how much intensity are you giving? How much volume are you giving? Uh, because it, I mean, I think trainers think people are making things up when they like train for the first time, like, Oh, my shoulder, like, and they're like, well, you haven't moved. How could your shoulder hurt? Well, because there's structural changes going on. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, or my knee or my back, I mean, I have scar tissue from my surgeries all over my body. So my fascia can bind up very easily. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, you have to almost like constantly move throughout the day, not to allow that to happen. So I think it's just also just understanding what your clients are doing and why it's maybe a good educational opportunity to go, like why they might need five, 10 minute breaks, you know, throughout their day to move just a little bit, because again, we're, we're to reverse that process takes a lot of work. Right. It does. Yeah. And so it's like, it's almost, you know, finding the small things that people can do that are willing to do, you know, two or three exercises to get them to move, not a whole 20 minute, 30 minute routine might be a good starting point. Uh, but just uh, also just acknowledging the starting point people are at and why they're feeling what they're feeling and that they're not making up, they're not being soft, they're not being whatever you want to call it, that there, there's actually things that they're experiencing, especially if they have a health history that dictates like, you know, they had had injuries. Now they, there is scar tissue and scar tissue can cause problems with fascia movement ability. So it's just like, even if it's very old, 
right? It, it can be now it's even worse because it's had a chance to, you know, really solidify itself there. So just like appreciating how we structure our program, then what we may emphasize, how much we would do, how much we push people and so forth, I think are important lessons to take away. Man, any fitness professional out there right now hearing this is like, oh, wow, this is so much more than just muscles and bones and sets and reps. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there's mean, a lot of things that go into it. You either, I always say, you know, a lot of times in your career as a fitness pro, and I know you've probably gone through this, I've gone through this, you get to this quick crossroads, right? You can try to close your eyes because this sounds hard and challenging and learning something new. And you can hope that you just, what you keep doing works. And I put that in quotation marks. <laughs> or you take on the challenge and you go, hey, I want to learn more about this. I want to see how it applies to what I can do. I want to be offering my clients a better option. Uh, and, and that's going to be more, but I think that's the exciting part. I think that's how you become a professional rather than a hobbyist who just likes to work out and does things. And, you know, I think we always have to constantly challenge our, is what we're, what we're doing the best way of going about achieving that goal. Yeah. And I just, I know speaking as a fitness professional, it's a scary thing. It's exciting because as you're learning, but you might have to do some, a uh, little self-check and think about what are you doing? Because, you know, fitness professionals, this is the hardest gig to like change minds and have people re redirect their course of thinking when it comes to programming and training your clients but for me, it was like this stuff made, well, not only did it make sense, but it was also backed by research. And it was almost, I can't go away from this. And I experienced it myself. And it was amazing how all the things that we've talked about and putting it in practice, I started feeling better. And I was already feeling okay. I was not like riddled with injuries, which is unfortunate because most of our peers are. But there was like this new level of stability and strength and mobility I found and it was hard to ignore that. <laughs> That's what it was. I, I couldn't ignore it. And, you know, it is funny, like, not funny, the DVRT restoration, which anybody listening, we're going to have a, a live course here at Fitness Line Down in October. So maybe you want to look at that. You know, we always, when somebody brand new comes in, we actually start them with a dead bug. Like that's our absolute first exercise. And more often than not, people get done with that. They're like, that felt good. You know, we, we bring it to a level where they can do it successfully. We're not doing any kind of crazy advanced um, variable of it, but there's just like, there was something about that that felt more connected. And I kind of want to talk about this as well, because what is it about DVRT? What is it about the ultimate sandbag that can help? Now we're not, we're not isolating fascial training here, but what is it that really makes somebody feel more, I don't, I don't want to be too dramatic, but kind of alive. Like, wow, I feel so much more connected doing this exercise than if I were doing almost anything else. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't mind, you know, indulge me a quick you know, point to what you were saying here too earlier, where I had a coach from a very well-respected gym come up to me one time at a conference. He goes, you know, Josh, I want you to let you know that the only reason we haven't taken your course yet is because I know it would change everything we're doing. And I don't want to have to do that yet. That's honesty. That's honesty. <laughs> That's honest. I mean, I don't know if your clients necessarily appreciate that, but you know, I mean, I wow. understand. And oftentimes you don't have to change everything. Right. And that's how I started with DVRT. Like I'm trying to figure out, like I, I make the joke off and you've heard me say, Corey, that I started first learning about this in the late nineties. And it took me about good, almost like seven, eight years to figure out what to do with it. Cause most of it was speaking specifically more like a rehab setting and then see how we would do this in, uh, in fitness. And part of it had to do with the tools that we'd available at the time. It's very hard to like think about how you're going to use barbells and dumbbells sometimes to accomplish these same goals you can do it but it just it didn't seem to fit as easily and so uh, to answer your question i think you know for example you know if i'm going to do let's say a shoulder press and i'm sure you've seen this numerous times and 
people go if they're just trying to muscle it they're just trying to use the muscles of the shoulder and you see the grimace come on you see the shoulder collapse it just looks painful you're just unnecessarily making it more effort but not effort that creates a positive benefit almost like an effort that creates a negative outcome because they start to you know have problems with the joint and the muscles surrounding it your neck gets involved and so forth and i think you know when you then learn how to connect the body like you said more effectively efficiently then all of a sudden it becomes easier you feel stronger and therefore it feels good <laughs> rather than bad and painful and then the first time someone does something i think they they traditionally think it has to be painful and it doesn't hurt that excites them and that's where you get a lot of buy-in like oh my god this is amazing uh, because i think a lot of people think you know and that, that's the big you know obstacle for a lot of people is that exercise has to hurt not it actually makes you feel better. Like it doesn't make you feel better in their minds until later on until you get fit. That that it can make you feel better right from this gets from right, right from the start if you do things correctly and well and you teach them how to move more effectively. And I think that's you know what we try to do. And over time it was almost like by accident that the ultimate semi just became this ideal tool uh to, to teach these concepts with because we just had so many ways to use the tool to sort of teach those connections of the body. And I'm like oh man, this makes this training so much easier for everybody, for me as the coach and the client to, to, to progress as they are able to. And so it just became just like this. I'm like, okay, well, why aren't people doing this? And this is where the tools do matter is because they didn't have the right tools. It's like, if I if all I had was a saw and I want to hang up a bunch of pictures, I'm going to be at it a while. This is going to suck and this is not going like, <laughs> to, I'm going to have holes in my wall, who knows what, because I'm trying to use a saw to do a, a job of a hammer. And so I think it's just the same idea. It doesn't mean other tools can't be used with that respect. It's just like the ultimate Samic Peak became this very easy and versatile tool to do it far more effectively than people had done in the past. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really sets it apart is the ability to pull the bag apart, right? So whether you're using the handles or whether you're grabbing onto the end caps or if you're holding onto the middle of the bag, I just think about some of these exercises like a press out squat, for instance. You know, a lot of people might see the bag as kind of just a counterweight, and that's what puts you in a better squatting position. And there is, I imagine, some counterweight to this, but we see people doing it with like medicine balls and other pieces of equipment where now you have to actually push in. And that pushing in doesn't give you that same response as pulling out would do, pulling the bag apart, where you elicit more of that lat and that lat being a big part of your core musculature, which I can only assume ties in with a lot of your fascia. As you're coming down, you can make such a good press out where a lot of times now people will press in on that implement going down, shoulders come up by their ears, it becomes kind of impingement-like, that it doesn't feel as good. They might get down in a better squat, but at what sacrifice? Well, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if they even get a better squat a lot of times. I see this a lot of times when people go really light in goblet squats, for example, or not deliberate when they're doing a goblet squat. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, People just don't understand nowadays everyone's trying to learn from social media and it's very hard to convey these concepts via social media. I mean, like you can write text, but you know, it's that what Alan Congrove told me years ago, like you have to feel it type of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, because like well, what are they exactly talking about? Like, you know, if you don't know that there's a, a deep front arm line, there basically it's the connection of the hand to your complete upper extremities into your core, even your neck, then you don't understand the value of grip. And so I can tell you the number of gyms I've been to, I'm sure you've seen this a lot of times where people are pressing or their hands are on the ground or they're doing whatever and their hands just aren't very active, whether they're open palmed or whatever it is. And they don't realize that they're losing stability, they're losing strength, they're losing their core 
and that's why it's so weird when people go when we talk and you know you've taught a bunch of courses too Corey. like to use your hands to activate your core doesn't make sense to people well it doesn't make sense if you don't understand those fascial lines and how those muscles are all woven and connected same thing with the feet and that's why the hands and the feet are such an integral part of what we do because that's your first opportunity to connect the entire body so yes. if you're even using your hands and feet with purpose then your chances of connecting the body are going to be greatly decreased and you know it, it's just not going to be as effective it's not going to feel as good and you're not going to feel like you said it's alive because it doesn't feel fluid and strong and stable and, and that's why the cueing is so important that's why the intention is so important too well and anybody that's ever spent any time on our training floor it feels like 85 to 90 percent of the time we're just cue, coaching and cueing hands and feet well, because um, it works, which, right? <laughs> well it does work and you know it's amazing it's just always amazing how you know i got two examples i've got a gentleman that sometimes his low back will kind of act up while he's performing a deadlift with the ultimate sandbag and you know for the most part he does it right but every now he's like i go up i'm like how was that for you and he's like well kind of my back was a little tweaky i'm like how hard were you pulling the handles apart well maybe i wasn't pulling them hard apart and then all of a sudden i, I revisit the second round he's like that just made all the difference it's amazing like this person just couldn't understand and it's not their job to understand it you know they just grab on tight. I don't have to take them to the chart and show them what's going on. But by having that, you know, I explain as best I can, but how much more integrated the last become and how much that actually stabilizes the low back from the upper point of view. And then we also have another client actually this morning, she's had a, an ankle, some ligament trouble or whatever. She rolled her ankle and severely sprained it. I mean, I saw the bruise line. It kind of reminded me of somebody else's ankle a few years ago. I couldn't believe she didn't break it. But now she's, you know, she's really on the mend and things are going really well. And, you know, we're at a point where we could do a squat and press with the ultimate sandbag and overhead press. And I come at to her back at her the first time and, you know, her squats look pretty reasonable. And I'm like, how was that? And she goes, well, every time I squat down, the right foot is the one that got injured. She's like, my right heel keeps coming up. I'm like, how about if I throw a band around your foot? She's like, why would you do that? I'm like, well, let's just do that. And I'm going to come back and ask you how that was. And she's like, I don't know why, but it made everything so much better. <laughs> it's like, because the intent is there, right? I mean, and it's nice to have, as the ultimate sandbag, I think we've talked about this, is it's not just the load, it's the feedback. You know, putting the bag up in that front-loaded position, how much more stable you can become as a result um, while you're doing a squat with that front-loaded position as a, a bar on your back. I mean, how much more integrated, strong, and all that stuff tying in together as a way to help train the fascia as you move. Yeah, it's just, I think people, and I know I got out of it when I first started because I know it was just like crank on music, clack on, crank on caffeine, and just go to town in your workout. That was the important part, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm, I'm far more focused. Like, I, I want to do it, not do those things. Um, but like, it's just so much more intent and focus upon exactly what I'm doing. And like, you know, just the other day, I'm doing, let's say, a body row with a suspension trainer. And I'm just trying to be really aware of just how everything feels because I got a lot of neck issues. And I'm like, you know, I need to push down a little harder with my pinky. And as soon as I do that, did that, that felt a little bit better. So it just, you know, it, it, that's why like a mind body type of approach, that's what this is too, is like being really intentional versus just trying to get the rep done or the workout done changes not only the outcomes, but the experience. Yeah. And I think it becomes such a better experience because for one, people have a hard time in today's world being present. So it helps you be more present. And secondarily, it just makes everything start more effective and you don't have to do as much. And then you don't have to be as like 
you don't have to be hurting from your workout. You can just feel good. You can feel like, you know, you can start to see the impact of the workouts much faster in your real everyday life, right? And it doesn't mean we're not training for cosmetic goals of weight loss and building muscle. I would say it does those things more effectively. Because yeah. from a fat loss perspective, I mean, if you can move more efficiently, you can go through greater ranges of motion. You can train with greater intensity. You can burn more calories. Same thing with building muscle. And you're less likely to hurt. If you're less likely to hurt, you'll be more consistent. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see how it travels down the line. So I think I think there's a lot of coaches, you know, that hear this stuff. And this sounds like, why isn't everyone talking about this, right? And I think, for one, unless you've had, like, maybe, like, I'm always grateful of the health challenges I've had over the years because, I had to think of a different way to train myself. Yeah. And maybe if I that never happened, I would have just stuck with what I learned very early on at 21 years old, right? And I've just been doing that because I never had to do it differently. Even though my clients needed different things, I would just look at like, well, it works for me. And I mean, we hear that a lot in our industry, right? Um, but like, well, it's not working for Bob or Susan or somebody. And it's like, what do they need? And, and I'm so grateful because I had to learn more about the body in order to create solutions for myself. But then by proxy, allowed me to create a better program. So there's that part. People just maybe never wear. And there's some purge with doing things that are different than everybody else too. But to me, the, our job isn't to impress each other. Our job is to help our clients. Yeah. And that just doesn't, for some reason, that doesn't sell as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> even though the clients are the reason why you're in the business and making money. And you think that you as a professional would be doing everything you can to stay on top of the game to help these clients. And not being satisfied with just the status quo and how we've always done it. And so it's, I, there's so many layers to peel back on, you know, the, the professional in this industry. And I mean, we have some great people. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to make it sound like everybody is just arms crossed and, you know, willing not to listen to anything. But it is, it's tough to make those changes. You know, as you mentioned, the person that would go to your course, but it's like, it's going to change everything and change is scary. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> Right. I mean, well, so it's a, I get to work with people and you do, I mean, you have that great combination of like learning, but also working with people. And nowadays too, there's a lot of people that are experts online that don't work with anyone. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of lessons. I think you learn from experience of actually working with a lot of different people. I mean, you could probably speak to that, that you can't even read in a book. And so it's, it's the, having that nice balance between the two, right? You have to have that understanding and education, but you also have to have actually working with people to see what works. I mean, I had a young lady ask me a question this weekend at the conference and, and it was fine questions, fine for her to ask, but I could tell she's never worked with anybody because mm-hmm. if she works with people, she would have been able to answer her own question. Sure. Um, which isn't negative about her, but just she's young. And so she yeah. hasn't worked with enough people yet. So that that's why coaches need a coach, right? <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. another important reason you start to realize online who's actually a coach and who plays one on social media. Yeah. And I mean, you all have, everybody has to start somewhere. Right. So, I mean, if you, but I, I tell our, um, you know, the interns that we have here, our young coaches just start coaching. You're going to make plenty of mistakes, but fortunately for us, because you're kind of under our umbrella and tutelage, those mistakes will be manageable. You know, you're not going to say something that's going to injure somebody. You might say, squeeze your glutes. And we're going to have to have a conversation about that, uh, how to better say it, but you have to just start coaching. You just have to start talking and you're going to be able to fine tune that craft as you go, because I don't think, no, nobody's ever born a great coach. You have to work. You have to, you have to put in the time. It's like all the hours that you have to do to become a pilot or something like this. It's put hours to become a really good coach. And even when you're a really good coach, you still have to keep going. You know, you just, you never reach this peak or this plateau where it's like, Oh, I made it. I'm the world's greatest coach. Even, 
even our Hall of Fame friend, uh, Coach uh, Al Vermeil, <laughs> I can tell you right now, that guy's never satisfied. It's like he's he's going through manuals. He's looking for stuff. And this guy's a Hall of Fame strength coach, has worked for multiple professional teams, multiple championships, uh, rings on his fingers. He's not, and the guy's over 70 years old, close to 80. He's not happy. He's not why I just said he's not happy, but he's not satisfied. So just think about the young 20-year-old that's just starting the industry. You know, the, you got a lot of land to cover, and it's it's an exciting land to cover. Yeah, and I, I think the danger of any anything nowadays is like it becomes all about this thing, right? Like all, all the problems are fascial, all the things I need to do are from a fascia, and people lose perspective of how encompassing the body is. You got your nervous system, you got your muscles, you got your organs, you got you know a million different things. So it's just like just keeping perspective. This is a variable. This does play a role. It's not going to play the only role, and it's impacted by many different things, just as most of your body is. So just having that more whole perspective on the person rather than trying to go i'm going to go down this rabbit hole of fascia because i think that's the solution to everything i need to know i mean if you enjoy it and you want to learn about it, that's awesome but like don't go into it thinking that's going to be all the problems of everyone that you work with and you know there's not specific tools that are fascial based training tools every tool that you move trains fascia just some can like you said give feedback to understand how to use my body more effectively that verbal cueing just can't deliver for people they have to kinesthetically feel it and go oh now i get why, why you want me to do that oh that's the sensation you want me to experience and if you keep that perspective then i think everything's fine with understanding like the different roles that fascial plays and stuff man and that just you know i i don't want to get too long here even though too late um it just brings me to a great example of that about as Alan said, you know, people just have to feel it, right? So after I think you're hands-on, there was a couple of females over in the corner. And for whatever reason, they were doing around the worlds. And you didn't even cover around the worlds, but they're doing it and they're doing it at half minute position. It wasn't my first and, <laughs> Well, I uh I saw it across the room. I'm like, oh, that is a train wreck. Like I I felt compelled. I had to tell them about this because it was because they're just like, it doesn't feel right. And once you engage, because as you're talking about, there's certain things that a verbal cue is just not going to help engage. And so when they experience the around the world, and I had them stand because I told them in a short amount of time how standing will make it a little bit less challenging, that when you can see in their eyes when they finally experience what happened, that it was like a deep core, you know, something you just can't cue. But when they're moving the bag around, they're like, oh my goodness, like I feel a lot of the stuff in the middle. It's like right there. I mean, I just felt like that was such a, an important thing for them to experience because I, obviously I, we don't want people to have a negative experience with the ultimate sandbag. So if they're just doing this thing and basically they just said they saw you on a, on a, I think it was a perform better uh, webinar and they saw the exercise. So they were going to try it out. <laughs> I mean, it's great, but I think it goes to like that. That's actually a great example of really the other part of fascia is like we were in a gym, traditional gym way of thinking right we think everything's got burn and pump and this and that and surely that goes against our innate design yes like it should be fluid efficient it should feel smooth and when you do a good around the world it feels that way and so and now it does it ties up the chain so beautifully in all all points of motion but i think it too it's just it's just a lot of mindset that people have changed and you know they're like well how do i know i'm working fashion it's like if you're moving better you're working fashion yes and if you're training different planes of motion you're working fascia. If you train good movement patterns, you're training fascia. Just just keep in perspective upon like what its impact truly is. And there's a great article called the anterior and posterior of a serape, the rotational core. I know that sounds like a lot, but you know if people like to look up research, it's a great 
people for the NSDA that talks about a lot of this and that we use fascia and how we use fascia and how arms connect to the hip and the foot and all these things. And so I think it's just, like I said, moral of the story, the body's connected. That's why isolated training is just not something I'm really interested in doing with people. Because to me, it's like saying, hey, Corey, we're, we're going to get the same job. You're going to make $10 an hour. I'm making $100 an hour, but we're both getting paid. I'm just getting paid. Same job. Same right? job. Right? But that, I, see, I see that as you're doing isolated training and I'm doing more integrated training. So it's like, not that you're not gonna get anything out of it, I'm just gonna get way more. Right, and I, I think that's a great way to to close out there because I could hear people just saying, how do I know when I'm working the fascia? As you've just pointed out, proper movement patterns, planes of motion, it's all gonna be working for you the more, and as you get better at something, right? So as you're becoming more efficient with something like an around the world or a lateral step, power clean, something like this, and it's starting to become less work, it's become more efficient fascia working for you that's fascia with the body with the brain with the muscles working in unison so that's a beautiful thing it's really fast too it's also why i don't like into only living the sagittal plane like you gotta start in that sagittal plane and that's great you gotta build that foundation but that's why we move in different directions ways like the more you start to expand your movement vocabulary the better your fascia will be but you gotta do that in a thoughtful and progressive way just don't do crazy exercises to work your fascia Right, and one more plug. Yep. As you talked about systems, the DVRT level one's also coming to lacrosse at the same time as restoration. So you can kill two birds with one stone and come up here, learn about that system, and yeah, we have a great time. Right there. <laughs> you like that? Uh, I got to start plugging that in my podcast more often. So, uh, wow, fashion. That was an exciting conversation, more exciting than I thought I would just talking about connective tissue. How fast did that went? That's that was a timely dad joke. I really appreciate that. And I'm a little upset at myself that I didn't come up with it. Well, just go tell you, I'm always here for a good dad joke. <laughs> I feel like you were practicing that in the mirror though before you came on. Oh. I'm right, talking about fashion. What am I going to talk How fashion that went? All right. <laughs> so, Josh, it was a pleasure being with you this weekend. And I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today. Thank you for being a great coach. Well, you, I tell you what, you butter me up so well. Thank you. Uh, so for all of you out there, I hope that this was an exciting episode for you to listen to. And again, I will have stuff in the show notes about where to go so you can be a part of Restoration and Level 1 here. And until the next time that we speak, my friends, Godspeed.